Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Thus far, the words of the prophet. Please turn now in your Bibles to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. 
And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Please pray with me. O Lord our God, you have the words of eternal life. We believe that. That's why we have come. We are here and pray that you would open our ears to hear, that you would open our eyes to behold Christ himself this morning. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts Be pleasing in your sight. Let your spirit take your word to work it deep in our hearts, to mold and shape our lives more and more after the image of your son. We come in his name. Amen. The joy of Christmas finds both its origin and its intensity in the answer that it provides to the greatest mystery of the ages. Who will come and save us? From the moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden against God by eating the forbidden fruit, humankind has been in desperate need of a Savior. God in his grace promised that very thing when he proclaimed to our sinful first parents that a son of Eve would come to crush the head of the serpent. And the entire Old Testament that followed is in effect the account of God's people searching for the promised Savior. The promised but often elusive Savior. Just when they seem to close in on the answer, they seem to fall further away. Abraham was taken by God and brought into the promised land and promised that he would become a mighty nation through his son. But just as his descendants began to multiply in the land, They left the land and went to Egypt because of famine. And then just as the people were being led out of captivity in Egypt by Moses, they were consigned to wander in the wilderness away from the promised land because of their sin and unbelief. Once they finally got into the land, they were harassed by hostile enemies. When they finally got a king to prevail over their enemies, the kingdom was fractured in two. 
And first the northern half of the kingdom and then the southern half of the kingdom were both driven from the land. And always the question question hung over them and behind them, where is the Savior? When will he come? What would he look like? How would they recognize his coming? The people were left wondering. And not just the people, but the very prophets of God as well, which as we saw last time, according to the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1, verses 10 to 12, those who were God's spokesmen were searching and inquiring carefully for their Savior, only to be told that the answer would have to wait the future coming of the Christ for his church. Now, over these next five Lord's Days, we will join them in their search so that we might benefit from their careful inquiry, their persistent searching, so that we might better understand the Savior who has come to us at Christmas. Since they were serving not themselves, but were serving us, our welfare depends on what they were finding as they searched. As we look back to the clues that they were given, we will better appreciate the Christ who has come in answer to their searching. We begin our search in chapter 40 of the prophet Isaiah. For 39 chapters, the prophet has been warning God's people that God's judgment was coming because of their persistent sin and unbelief. But suddenly, from chapter 40 onward, the prophet's perspective changes. No longer is he condemning the people for their sins. But he is now, as it were, looking on the people as though they had already experienced God's judgment. As though they had already been carried off into captivity and exile. And by speaking of them and to them, as though they were already under God's judgment, just as the prophet had been predicting in the first 39 chapters. The certainty of that judgment is heightened. And yet at the same time, the reality of hope in the face of that judgment is amplified. Now as Isaiah begins in chapter 40, to speak of hope to a people in trouble under the judgment of God. The first thing he offers them is a voice. A voice. It may seem to be an odd figure to a people in distress. Yet if you pause to consider it more carefully, a voice is a powerful image. The only thing worse 
than facing a load of trouble and difficulty is to face it alone, all by yourself. If Nancy or I are home alone for any period of time, either one of us will generally turn on the TV or the radio just to have a human voice to hear. We have an old house and it makes all these creaking noises in the wind and just settling, standing there. And those noises seem amplified at night. And sometimes, if you're downstairs, it sounds like somebody's walking around upstairs. And if you're upstairs, it sounds like someone is knocking over things downstairs. And at that time, the best thing that can happen to either one of us is to hear the other one say, Honey, I'm home. To hear that voice, that we're not alone, that someone else is there. Living in a fallen world with hardship and danger, fear and distress, we do long for a voice, a welcoming voice, a comforting voice. A voice speaking words telling us that we are not alone. To lift us out of our trouble and encourage us that real help is coming and that all will soon be well. This is what the prophet Isaiah offered to an increasingly decadent Israel in 8th century B.C. It is what the same Lord God offers to you today in our increasingly decadent 21st century A.D. But what is this voice of which he speaks? How does this voice help us? What did this voice say then and what does this voice say to you and to me today? What we first hear is a voice promising the hope of salvation. A voice promising the hope of salvation. In Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. For 39 chapters, the prophet has been speaking words of strong and firm judgment upon a sinful people. But no longer does he speak those harsh words of judgment But now instead, it is a comforting voice, a tender voice of comfort. Despite the previous and lengthy outcry against sin, there is still hope. Because God's message is, comfort my people, says your God. 
my people, your God. We have not been abandoned despite our sinfulness. God still cares. He still loves. God's people may have been wicked and rebellious, but the voice of the prophet promises hope and hope in three dimensions. He promises first the end of difficulties. Verse four, chapter 40, verse 2. Cry to her that her warfare is ended. Foreign army after foreign army had traversed the promised land back and forth time and again, attacking the people of God because of their hard-hearted sinful rebellion against their God. But now the voice of the prophet announces that their warfare is ended. It is a lot easier to bear up under difficulties if you know that they are coming to an end. We've seen that with this coronavirus pandemic. The initial illness and death, the lockdowns and quarantine, even the emergence of Zoom as the normal way of life were quite debilitating for many people. The enforced loneliness, the inability to get out, it was very difficult. But then all of a sudden a vaccine was announced and then approved and administered and jobs began to open up. People began going back to work. The vaccine gave people hope. They saw the end. But then all of a sudden there was a Delta variant and now children were getting sick where before they weren't getting sick. And the death rates increased and the masking was continued. And people grew frustrated again. The end that they had thought was coming now seemed far, far distant. But then the schools opened up and a vaccine was approved for children and people began to have hope one again, once again. Even though there were still large numbers to be vaccinated, there was hope that the end is finally in sight. And then just two days ago, the Omicron variant was announced. Travel was immediately banned from 10 countries in southern Africa. The stock market fell by 900 points after reaching record levels just days earlier. And people are no longer sure that the end is in sight and their hope is shaken. When will the end come? I can't tell you about the coronavirus, but I can tell you that the Lord promised his people that their warfare was ended. As he looked to the future, seeing the people not yet in exile as being in exile, he declared a day when their warfare would be ended, the end of their difficulties. He also promised the forgiveness of sins. 
He says, cry to her that her iniquity is pardoned. The absence of outer turmoil is not enough. There needs to be peace within. How can we enjoy peace without if there is no peace within? The promise of forgiveness for the judgment which was provoked by their sin provides such peace. But God is not yet finished. There is more beyond the removal of both external and internal turmoil. The voice of the prophet further speaks of the provision of blessing. He goes on at the end of verse 2. Cry to her that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now some hear that and think that receiving double for your sins means you're in deeper trouble than you were before. Because you're receiving double for your sins. But this much more likely refers not to a doubling of your judgment, but a doubling of the blessing that God provides following judgment. You see, there is a biblical pattern of double blessing following difficult judgment. In Job 42, after... 40 chapters, 41 chapters of hearing of how much Job suffered and how little he understood about his suffering. In Job 42, God restores to Job double all of the flocks that he had lost at the beginning of his suffering In Job chapter 1, there is a doubling of blessing following the pain and loss of judgment. In Isaiah 61, verse 7, the prophet announces these words, Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. Later on in Isaiah, he announced a double portion of blessing following the suffering of judgment. Now, in addition to this biblical pattern... There is the immediate biblical context right here in Isaiah chapter 40. The reference to receiving from the Lord's hand double is the third element of a list of three things highlighting the Lord's tender comfort for his people. For which the first two elements are clearly positive strongly suggesting that in a word of comfort, the third element would be positive as well. A reference 
to an abundant provision of blessing from God, despite much hardship. We first see the voice promising the hope of salvation. But next we see through Isaiah a voice preparing the way of salvation. In verse 3, we read, a voice cries. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now here the voice is not that of the prophet, but just an unknown, obscure voice. But its very obscurity directs our attention away from the voice to the content of the voice's message, which is prepare the way of the Lord. And such a preparation is to take place in the wilderness. Now, why is it to take place in the wilderness? Well, the wilderness was a place of risk and of danger. It was outside of one's normal protection, of one's normal comfort zone. That is precisely where we need to seek salvation. Outside of ourselves. Outside of what we think we can handle. Because the truth is that none of us can save ourselves. Note the manner of preparation. In the middle of verse 3, we read, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. To prepare for salvation, all the obstacles have to be removed. The people are viewed as being far, far away, captive under a horrible government in a land far, far from home. How are they to return home to the land of promise? Well, the obstacles have to be taken away. And here we are given an almost apocalyptic vision of massive upheavals in topography so that God can easily bring his people home. When we first moved here in 1987, the Kelly plant had just been lost. The Kelly corporate headquarters had been preserved here in Cumberland, along with the promise that our isolation here in Cumberland would be overcome, that a new interstate would open the way through the mountains to the east in order to access the industry in Hagerstown and further east in Baltimore and Washington and and Philadelphia. But they had to prepare the way. Nancy and I had taken our kids to visit one of our members who was in the hospital at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore one day, and we were driving home on the way to for me to get back to a deacon's meeting, and this is before the days of cell phones. And the construction crews were working just to the east of Cumberland to make the road straight 
And so they were removing the side of a mountain that was blocking the winding road in order to give a straight shot for several miles. And as we were approaching home, we had just reached Flintstone, and all of a sudden there was a big kaboom, and traffic stopped. And we waited five minutes. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, a half hour. I'm watching the clock. I don't have so much time to get to that deacon's meeting. I didn't, there was no such thing as a cell phone then. One hour passed, two hours passed, three hours passed. I think it was going on four hours before traffic began to move. Now, after about an hour, I just started walking down the road looking for the nearest uh, truck that had a, a radio antenna just to find out what went wrong. And what went wrong is the construction crew in blowing off the side of the mountain to make way for the new road had blown the mountain into the old road. And they were scurrying so fast with bulldozers. It was still daylight when we finally got to the place where they were removing the dirt from the road. But there was so much dust in the, and dirt in the air from them trying to clear this road. It was like night. But for a clear flow of traffic, you see, you needed a clear road. And that's the thing that they're speaking of here. Well, what's the primary obstacle in our lives to returning to the presence of God? It's sin. It's sin. To prepare the way to approach a God who dwells in unapproachable light for whom there is no darkness at all, who cannot stand darkness and sin and wickedness, the only way of preparation is the way of repentance. We must turn from that sin that would block us from the presence of God. And this was the message of John the baptizer preparing the way for Jesus. Indeed, after quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3, in Mark chapter 1, verse 3, Mark writes in verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The manner of preparation for salvation is repentance. But it is also important that we recognize the object of preparation. The object of the voice preparing the way for salvation is that the glory of God might be revealed. Verse 5, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice has spoken. God's glory will be revealed. John suggested as much in Mark 1 verse 7 when he said, after me comes one who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. 
We were created to be the image of the glorious God, to live in his presence, to reflect his glory. And this glory was revealed at Jesus' first coming, of whom John the Apostle wrote in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son coming from the Father, full of grace and truth. We know that God's glory will also be revealed at the second coming of Jesus, as Paul says in Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The voice is preparing the way of salvation, not only to reveal Jesus Christ to us, but to reveal the glory of Jesus Christ in us. But that is not all. Isaiah also speaks, thirdly, of a voice proclaiming the certainty of salvation. In verse 6, we read, A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It is hard to have confidence in any certainty of salvation when you are in captivity to hostile captors in a foreign land. But what may seem impossible to people is possible with God. A voice from God calls to Isaiah to have him tell us that our assurance of certainty is in God, that there is a certainty of salvation. But the way he expresses the certainty of our salvation is by presenting us with a contrast, a contrast between the uncertainty of man and the certainty of God. The uncertainty of man is highlighted in verses Six through eight. In the middle of verse six, we read, All flesh is grass, all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. If COVID has taught us anything, it's that life is very fleeting. Tim Stickley was strong and healthy with us one day. Two weeks later, he was dead. And that's been multiplied time and time and time again. Just like the grass, one day alive and vibrant, the next day withered and dead. People look for certainty in science. But the problem is that the science keeps changing First, the scientists told us, you don't need to wear masks. Then they said, you do need to wear masks until you're vaccinated. 
And then we finally got the vaccine that the scientists had prepared. And we're grateful for those vaccines. But then they said, well, you still need to wear your masks, even though you're vaccinated. And then the vaccination wasn't enough. We needed a booster shot on top of the original vaccine. And now who knows what will happen with Omicron. Now, friends, I am not opposed to the vaccine. I have been vaccinated. I am had my booster. I'm grateful for the vaccine, especially since Nancy has very low immunity right now following her bone marrow transplant. I am thankful for the vaccine. Those who are vaccinated do a lot better. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm just telling you this is not a diatribe against vaccination. But what is hurting the number of people getting vaccinated is that the rules from our scientists keep on changing. But that's not abnormal in the field of science. First, we had the certainty of Newtonian physics until Einstein came along and totally upended our understanding of of physics based on the speed of light. And then in the late 20th century, suddenly we discovered there are tiny particles, smaller than atoms, that go faster than the speed of light. So now what's going to happen? We don't really know. Human life has so much uncertainty, and even the things that we look to provide us with certainty can change. We live with uncertainty, and yet over and against this uncertainty for mankind, there is the certainty of God. Notice the end of verse 8. But, but the word of our Lord, our God, will stand forever. Now, the word of God will stand forever because God himself stands forever. God himself does not change. That's what the prophet Malachi told us. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. God has not changed because he is a merciful God. If he changed and just was a cruel, harsh, judgmental God, no one would be alive today. We all would be consumed. But the prophet says that God says, I, the Lord, do not change. Our hope of salvation is in our unchanging God. It can't be in this changing world because it's constantly changing. It can't be in ourselves It can't be in other people. It can't be in our own efforts. We are constantly changing. Our understanding is constantly changing. Our hope is only in the God who never changes. Whose son, the writer to the Hebrews tells us, even the Lord Jesus Christ, is the same yesterday and today and forever. That is where our certainty is found. That's what the voice is telling us. 
The certainty of salvation rests in the certainty of our unchanging God. And that brings us to our final point. A voice presenting the agent of salvation. In verse 9 we read, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold your God. God himself must save us. Behold, the Lord God comes. He is the only Savior. And that a sovereign, holy God would save a rebellious and sinful people is almost beyond hope and even belief. It is good news. It's the best news. And it needs to be trumpeted from the highest point. All people need to hear it. Behold, your God, he comes. And what kind of God is he that he would save us? Well, he is a mighty savior. Verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. We need someone who is able to destroy all of our enemies. Someone who himself will remove all of our obstacles. Jesus is the mighty Savior who will destroy all our enemies. In Colossians 2.15, the Apostle Paul tells us that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing them over them in him and in his cross. In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 24, he writes, Then comes the end when he, he, that is Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus is the mighty Savior who can destroy our enemies. And yet at the same time, we also need a gentle Savior so as not to destroy us. We are our own worst enemies much of the time. Look at verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. In Isaiah 42, in just a couple of chapters, the prophet further describes this Savior by saying, A bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not snuff out. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Jesus is this gentle shepherd that carries us tenderly. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Who in Matthew 11, 28, 
calls out to us saying, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The voice of the prophet presents to us God himself as the agent of our salvation. Jesus is God in the flesh come to save us. The first clue of Christmas pointing us to the Savior is a voice. A voice promising the hope of salvation. A voice preparing the way of salvation. A voice proclaiming the certainty of salvation. A voice presenting the agent of salvation. A voice culminating in the voice of John the baptizer pointing to his cousin, Jesus of Nazareth as the Christ, the Savior of God. This season in which we celebrate his coming is a busy time of year, even in our current COVID environment. In all the hustle and bustle of our decorating and shopping and baking and partying, it is easy to become distracted. Indeed, the noise of our celebration can drown out the voice which still calls us to look to Jesus as the one we are actually seeking. For all our sophisticated technology, this world is still a wilderness, a dangerous place, a risky place, a place far from God. But the voice is still calling out to prepare the way for the Lord and for the salvation of God. God has spoken through his son. He is speaking here this morning. And perhaps one of you or more of you this morning are hearing this voice for the very first time in your life. Do you hear the promise of hope. Will you heed his call to preparation and repentance? Will you rest on the certainty of God's offer of salvation? Will you welcome this Savior, the voice is presenting to you, even Jesus? I urge you to respond today while his voice is still ringing in your ears before the noise of all the celebration around us drowns out that voice that we so desperately need to hear. Many of you have heard that voice and found real comfort in Jesus. But could it be that the noise of daily living has dulled your memory to the message of its calling. Have you forgotten that the voice and promise of the Savior is not just a gift to you, 
but it is also meant to be a gift from you to the people around you. We who have been blessed by the voice of Christmas are meant to become the voice of the Savior to others. Many of your neighbors and co-workers and friends right now, today, would not come into this building to hear of the voice of salvation. But they hear you as you're with them in the marketplace, talking across your backyard fence, on the job, mowing your lawn, walking through the neighborhood, biking in the park. Has the glory of the joy of salvation become so dimmed that your voice no longer adds to the chorus? Jesus said to those disciples who heard his voice, who were following him, you shall be my witnesses. May this Christmas be the time when others hear the voice of the Savior because your voice has been raised to his praise. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, the prophet speaks of a voice. The prophet himself is a voice, but he speaks of a voice crying in the wilderness, a voice crying out of the certainty of our salvation, a voice presenting God himself as the one who must save us. Help us not to be confused by our celebrations, the noise of the world around us in all of its confusion and fighting and arguing. Lord, help us to hear the voice, the voice announcing the Savior. Lord, make us to be the voice to someone else that they might learn of Jesus, of his might, of his gentleness, of his love, of his holiness. Prepare our hearts and help us to prepare the hearts of others by telling them of him who has come, of him who will yet come again to take us home. We thank you for such a Savior as Jesus. We come to you in his name. Amen.